This is In Search of the Pluriverse. We are Sophie Creer and Eric Wong. Join us on our quest for a world in which many worlds fit. We were invited by Het Nieuwe Instituut to be the first curators of their traveling academy. You can follow us online at pluriverse.hetnieuweinstituut.nl Welcome back, dear listeners. After the eight warming-up talks we collected, we'd like to welcome you back to this new series of podcasts in our search for the pluriverse. Testing Istanbul's waters. In five short talks, we anticipate on the upcoming Thirst Walk, due to take place two weeks from now as part of the closing activities of the 5th Istanbul Design Biennale. And this thirst-provoking walk will provide perspectives on water from designer Noor Orsanali, urbanist Yassar Adnan Adanale, ecologist and activist Lian Poa, and architects Eva Pfannes and Sylvain Hartenberg from Ouse. Artist Saikan Taijan will be our virtual guide. Now, water supply in urban areas is vital, and there's no exception for Istanbul in this case, where the water distribution system dates back to pre-Roman times. Water as a commons, as metaphor, as politics. And the question is, who quenches whose thirst? Well, I'm very happy, what a relief, that after all the Zoom conversations that we have had so far, that now I'm sitting live at the table with Lian Poa in her home in Amsterdam. Thank you, Lian, for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming. It's a pleasure to uh, host. Yeah, it's really like, it's been like a year ago since we sat here with microphones and cables. And before us, there's a glass of water. We both have a glass of water. Just to start a conversation, can you say something about the origin of this? It's presumably from the tap in your kitchen. Yes. So where does this water come from? Yeah, it's partly uh, the rain and glacier uh, is their origin so it also comes from uh, the Rhine uh, and uh, the IJssel and then the Ijsselmeer and then it came to the dunes and uh, there's also the rainwater there in the in the dunes and then uh, it's tap water from here so it has traveled a long journey with a lot of uh, adventures uh, along the way, uh, kilometers, but also a lot of uh, engineering and pipelines as well. Yeah. Wow. And has there been a lot of uh, treatments to it? The main uh, treatment is done by the sun and by the dunes. That's very nice. So the, the Filters, natural filtra yeah, filtrations. But of course, then we, we also do a lot of testing. And that's also quite genius about this water that it's so in that sense uh, high regulated quality that we can drink it from the tap that's such a, a privilege also that we can do that yeah, but it's always available it's yeah fact, exactly it's amazing. Uh, and then it's also quite um, um, wasteful that we also have our uh, um, toilets with the same high quality yeah. of drinking water uh, flushing every seven liters or so uh, with yeah. every pee so that I don't do. I, I flush then as little as possible. Yeah, but it is uh, quite uh, amazing that we can drink it like that. But uh, for me, that that the feeling of that it's genius, that has grown over time. Because first it was normal and taken for granted. Yeah, I can uh, open the, the tap. But now I see more that with your hands 
and going to the river, uh, that that is actually quite normal. And all these kilometers of pipelines and treatments, and that's uh, the, the work of a genius. So I think we could go back to uh, this uh, yeah. symbol of uh, yeah. drinking straight from the river. Well, let me shortly introduce you before we go further. So you founded the Drinkable Rivers Project after realizing that a Canadian river, the Rupert in this case, in Quebec, that you could still drink from in 2005 was no longer drinkable a few years later. So ecosystems proved themselves to be very vulnerable, extremely vulnerable, on five continents. And you are currently setting up a network of mares for a drinkable moose. In Dutch, it's called the Maas. A river that springs in France and runs through Belgium and the Netherlands to end in the North Sea at Hoek van Holland. You studied whole system ecology, business administration and philosophy. And as a system thinker and doer, you connect people, disciplines and industry. So, Leon, um, let's get back to that, to the beginning, that powerful moment in Canada that you, that you realized that drinking from the river felt normal. And then you came back and it wasn't normal anymore. So that started that whole idea of getting yourself actively involved with rivers and the quality of their of the water they provide. Take us back there to Rupert, to Quebec. Yeah, I was canoeing with a group and um, in those open Canadian canoes. So I was not canoeing on my own, luckily, because I wasn't actually very good at that. It was my first time to canoe for a whole month. And it was a protest battle against the big mega dam uh, that was planned to be um, built uh, for hydroelectricity in that area. So this was a protest against that dam. And uh, for doing that, they uh, canoed, we canoed. I say they because I thought I would observe them as a researcher. But towards that end of the month, I felt so engaged in their fight that it also became my fight. And there, that first day, I had a filter with me. I learned I, could, I didn't need to use that. And so I, I, I took a sip. And that uh, sip was uh, so moving that uh, at the same time as I took that uh, sip of water, a tear came down. And um, that uh, was beauty in a different sense that I had never um, experienced before. It's like when you listen to a very beautiful music composition, then you can also be so moved that tears come. And this is what happened. And that made me think a lot, like, wow, I, how, how did I never imagined that I could uh, drink straight from a river? Then that motion from, ah, this is actually normal and not what I have yeah, been used no. to. So that's where it all started. That's yeah. how it started. Mm. So now we're 15,000 kilometers further <laughs> and some years further. I've watched your documentary that you made two years ago with Tom Verhul. And it's a three episode documentary. It's still available for our Dutch listeners. You can still look at it at mpostart.nl. And in the near future, there's going to be English versions, hopefully. So our, our, our foreign listeners have to wait. But please, Dutch listeners, go to MPO Start because it's a beautiful experience to watch Leon Poa walk along the Maas, the Meuse. And she starts in France at the source of the Meuse and she walks all the way back to Rotterdam, where you were born. And that was also a reason to walk the Meuse. You were born close exactly. to the... 
almost like a pilgrimage. You walk along the river all the way. And that's also something I really like about your strategy that you also ask people, where was your riverbed? Not where was your crib, where was your riverbed? Because we all depend on rivers and we all need to be in the vicinity of rivers to stay alive. And I really like that analogy that you also tell in the voiceover that, that it's also a step-by-step process and you, you really want to add things up and you start at the source and it slowly builds up to a more complex story with many, 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 many people that are involved in, in the river and living alongside the river. And there was one moment in the documentary that really struck me and it was already back in the Netherlands. It's the end of a summer day and there's this hairdresser that uh, washes your hair in the river and she washes your hair with biological uh, degradable shampoo. I mean, you put your own body on the line anyway because you walk all those thousand kilometers. But to put your body in the river, have your hair cut, somehow that really clicked with me because you talk with her about personal care products and microplastics and uh, the distance we have to the water and that Mm -hmm. we don't realize what damage it does, all these products. And it really pushed me towards making a start by cleaning up my own personal care system Mm. or the products. Great. So um, it has that effect. Yeah, that moment, there's such an intimacy um, with the landscape, with the hairdresser who she's already very conscious of um, cutting people's hair in silence without a mirror, more meditative, but she'd never done it uh, like this outside, never washed uh, someone's hair in a river. Uh, So there's also that newness and there's also intimacy to that. This health, this quest of how can I be... uh, a hairdresser that is contributing to health was already part of it, not only for um, ecosystems, but primarily in the beginning for her own health. And that has put her on a quest. And that's then how she heard about uh, my walk. And so she asked to join. And all the days were very sunny. There was only two days of rain and that whole of those 60 days. And uh, almost every day was even 40 degrees. That was one of the three years in a row. So looking back also at that scene, um, to appreciate that uh, intimacy and also that newness of that heat. Yeah. Well, it's a physical experience because we see the documentary and we see you walking and it would have been really easy to just do it in parts, but you did it in one go. You just started and 60 days later you arrived at the sea. Yeah. So... Um, At the Stellendam, by the way. Oh, not Stellendam, the, yeah, not, not Hoek, Hoek van Holland. Holland. No. Okay. okay. Yeah. So it's the, the Nieuwe Waterweg, uh, the Biespos, and then uh, oh, of course. Tien Gemeten, and yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. the Haringvliet. Yeah. Oh, the Haringvliet, that was what it was. Yeah, I yeah. couldn't, I couldn't yeah. find it on the map. It's almost the blue reverse <laughs> in one river then. <laughs> Suddenly it, it's not the Meuse anymore. It, it changes names, which makes it quite difficult to follow mm. the water. We have a saying, uh, it's... Uh, in the delta, één pot nat. So everything comes together and also is then splitting apart. And uh, so that's the delta so dynamics. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's one flow of water. Water is also easily being politicized because it's, it's an essential commons. We all need it to stay alive. And the distribution and the supply of drinkable water 
is of course of high importance for, for communities. Now, we are going to Istanbul, or we were supposed to go to Istanbul. We're going to solve it in another way. We're going to talk about it a bit later. But in Istanbul, for instance, the mayor um, has really made a campaign of restoring the old city fountains because the city fountains had a, a huge function in the past because it were places where people would meet. Uh, they would get their uh, daily supply of water there. They would talk to their neighbors and they would take the water in from the public domain inside the house. It also worked here, I guess, a century ago when we weren't all connected to private water taps. But that system got neglected, so they, the, the, those chessmates, as they are called, they don't work anymore. So this mayor, uh, it's, a, it's a green left-wing mayor. He really makes an effort to restore these potable drinking fountains in the city. Um, and since you're also campaigning with mayors and trying to create awareness with mayors and, and making a sort of a shared pamphlet or how would you say the statement to sort of state something or to promise each other something for the future. Do we need politics and do we need the government for this? Yeah, I think in order to realize a river that is drinkable, uh, we need everyone every day, um, every action counts. And that's also then the task and ambition um, that is ahead of us because all those relationships on the land eventually end up in that lowest point, which is the waterways. Uh, and mayors are, I think, a very interesting person because they are this bridge between people and uh, all those institutions. And so for me to engage and mobilize through the walks, but also now after the walk, mobilizing them as being a mayor of a city or a municipality, um, but also of a part of the river is quite essential to engage everyone. Then uh, a declaration, we call it then, acknowledging that water is our lifeline and that we depend on this water and therefore that we take our responsibility. And then they uh, share also what their first step is towards a drinkable Meuse in this case. Um, but we also have now mayors for drinkable rivers worldwide. It, it then shares, like, okay, they're on their journey on that direction. So to have a shared direction that everybody understands, then many things can happen in different ways. We don't need to prescribe, per se, what needs to happen or how, as long as it's that direction. And we need politics and we need... We cannot, as private persons, achieve this alone. No, it's we can do a lot as well, like you are also saying with the personal care. Don't underestimate the personal as well. But then to go beyond that personal, we each of us have a different roles. And so I think that, that roles that mayors and um, aldermen have, have a, a particular bridge um, of reaching all of us as people and reaching many of the institutions. Yeah, because the urgency of it, and we need to stress that, I think, in this short talk as well, is that I was quite shocked by the fact that only 2% of the water supply in the world on this planet is drinkable. And uh, so we really need to take care of that 2% in De a good Definitely, way. yeah. So, so the 2% is fresh water. And of that is, is even, a, a, uh, even less is available because much of it is in ice, luckily still. Um, 
uh, but melting as we talk in the salt uh, oceans. Yeah. Um, so yes, it's so uh, precious. Did, yeah, it's did, snowing did, outside. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> pointing at, at it's yeah. now snowing. April does what it will yeah. <laughs> once. So at the end of the documentary, uh, I also like that scene. You're sitting at the, at the bank of the river with this 12-year-old boy who's the son of a friend of yours. And you sort of speculate a little bit on the future. And what um, stri strikes me is that you're quite positive about the future. You're very optimistic. There's no apocalyptic worldview or you don't think that we are lost as mankind or as, you know, as, as an ecosystem living together with plants and animals. You really believe in a clean future and a drinkable Meuse in this case. And there's also this, this man that walks with you in the part of the walk alongside the river. And he also says that over time, mankind has become less egocentric. So where is your optimism based on? Where, where does that come from? Um, my grandfather um, said really, uh, um, uh, keep your enthusiasm. So it's a, a choice and also something I take care of. I take care of that I rest enough, that I am outside enough, that I do the things that make my heart sing. So the one reason of walking is not only because it's an, a beautiful metaphor of that things change, go step by step, but it's also because I, I just like walking a lot. So I can do it all the time. And then also in every conversation, people see that I'm enjoying it. So there is this, yeah, there is this aliveness uh, in me while doing things I like, which helps. And so it's it's discovering constantly what makes me alive, what makes you alive, also in my conversation with others. Uh, that's the place where we can meet, because that's where we can really be meaningful as well. Th this is what uh, is my wave, <laughs> say, where I'm, I'm surfing and on. And you take people with you on that wave. Yeah, and now, yeah. We're, now, now we're sitting in the living room, um, but otherwise we could have walked outside as well. So yeah, we, that is my really my way of mobilizing, but I don't. it's not a campaign that everybody needs to walk. I do say experience your river more. Going outside also helps to keep that enthusiasm. And as uh, Arne Ness, an uh, eco-philosopher, said, I am a short-term pessimist, but a long-term optimist. And so I do believe that if we human beings want this and act upon it and take our responsibility, then so many things can happen. And then the river will collaborate with us. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'll go for the long-term optimist. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I think that's a really good statement. So thank you, Leon, for um, sharing uh, your optimism with us. Um, we have to end this conversation because it's only a short introduction. We will see you later this month for our Thirst Walk. But now our listeners can already uh, look at the documentary on NPO Start. And um, we'll see you soon. Thank you for listening. See you next time. This was one of the five teasers in the series Testing Istanbul's Water, part of in search of the Blue Rivers. Stay tuned for the next talk to be published soon. For more background on this project, you can dig into our Traveling Academy website magazine at pluriverse.hetnieuweinstitut.nl. And of course, you can follow us on Instagram at in search of the Blue Rivers. I, Eric Wong, was your host. The tune is by Jacomiri, and our audio engineer is Tsei Kao. In Search of the Blue Rivers is part of the Traveling Academy 
an initiative of Het Nieuwe Instituut in close partnership with the Consulate General in Istanbul and embassies in Germany, Morocco, Spain and the UK. The Travelling Academy brings together makers from these regions and the Netherlands to learn how formal and informal ways of knowing can support each other in tackling ecological, social-political and spatial issues.